<laughs> have, have you seen Rotten Tomatoes today? No. Is it really like ninety percent? Really, really? Yeah. I wasn't expecting. I you had primed me for it to be a disaster, so I had no idea anybody liked this movie when I went in to watch it. Yeah. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 491 with a review of Annihilation. I'm Christopher Schneezy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week on the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. Uh, this week, we are here to talk about the film Annihilation, as we just mentioned. Um, but before we get started, we wanted to kind of do a little follow-up uh, from a review last week of Black Panther. Um, so... Last week, we did a review of Black Panther, um, and in reviewing that, we sort of focused on the fact that it was the 18th film in the Marvel franchise, and we reviewed it as if it were just the 18th film in the Marvel franchise. Mm -hmm. Um, A close personal friend kind of reached out to us and kind of expressed some disappointment in our... Uh, I guess inability to discuss the cultural impact of yeah, the film. Kind of like mistaking the forest for the trees, maybe yeah, in the yeah. way we nitpick the movie. Yeah, and uh, I think that obviously we we didn't spend a lot of time talking about the cultural impact this film has had and what it means to like viewers all over the country um, and the context of the history that this story is trying to tell and what it's dealing with. I mean, this this, this film at this point in time has made like a bajillion dollars <laughs> i mean like opening week I, I think after opening weekend it was the fifth highest grossing film of like all time or something i, I like think that. so yeah i know it was shattering a ton of box office yeah, records yeah. I, I i don't remember the exact numbers but this is clearly um uh, this, this film was a big deal <laughs> and for a lot of people it's a bigger deal than maybe it was for us in the context of our review um and yeah Yeah, so just to um so we we both had a pretty good conversation with this friend slash listener as most listeners are friends (laughs) (laughs) um and so uh, just to give a little bit of context um Usually, as a rule, we, Chris and I, try not to discuss a movie before we record. Uh, last night, I, I got to see a few of Chris's faces when we ran into each other after watching <laughs> Annihilation. Uh, but, but in general, there's kind of a lot of quietness beforehand. Uh, sometimes, though, we have a few days in between seeing the movie and reviewing it. And I think then things kind of turn in our heads a little bit more and you, you kind of form an opinion um, other times we go directly from a screening to instantly discussing a movie, yeah. um, which was the case last yeah. week. Yeah, and like sometimes, like that can be a blessing and a curse. Like sometimes I I love that because I think the rawness brings a kind of interesting grappling that we don't normally do. Like Manchester by the Sea and Arrival are two episodes that I, I really liked that we we recorded just like instantly after watching the movie. Yeah. Um, but then sometimes I think it's it doesn't give you enough time to really take in everything. You're, you're kind of left just as the movie watcher reeling over like maybe the last 20 minutes of the movie. And it, it, sometimes it's a little hard to like zoom yeah. out after doing that. I think also like while you're watching the film, you're aware of the fact that you will be speaking about it yeah. moments after you exit the theater. And like you are kind of trying to grab onto little pieces at, and like formulate something in your head but you can't because it's the first time you're experiencing yeah. a film so so anyway this was one of those scenarios where by the time i woke up on friday morning after recording i already had like 
a bunch of things I remember telling Joanna, like, damn it, I wish <laughs> I wish I'd thought of that last night. Um, and the main thing that I think would have been interesting to discuss more was the complexity of the character of Killmonger. Um, on the show, I think I gave him praise as being the one of the most interesting Marvel villains in that yeah. he has an actual motive. He's not just a a crazy person who wants to, you know, grow islands to destroy the world or whatever, whatever other villains are doing. Yeah. Um, but I, a thing that sets him apart too, that I didn't touch on so much was that his motives are very like true to life. Like, like they're real world social arguments. They aren't just yeah. like kind of imaginary. I want to rule the world type situations. Um, the main conflict of this movie, which I thought was pretty interesting in Black Panther versus Killmonger, is basically like Martin Luther King versus Malcolm X, right? It's yeah. do we want to have peaceful conflict resolution where we work hand in hand with other people and try to mostly stay, you know, stay out of the way of violence? Or do we want to be a rallying cry and like arm and resist? And I think the fact that the Black Panther kind of lives in this quarantine space where he he has people that he's speaking for and he rarely really has to interact with the outside world versus Michael B. Jordan's character who grows up in our Oakland, right? Like yeah. there's a public enemy poster on the wall. It's Oakland. It's right across the bay from us. He He is like seeing this world that doesn't seem right, right? And, yeah. he, and he's frustrated and he wants to do something about it. And I think... That was a really bold move on Ryan Coogler's part to basically not have a villain. Like, he has one, but thematically, like, who wins in the end? It it isn't that, like, positive. You kind of feel like both of them have a pretty good point <laughs> in yeah. their argument. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. Um, another an aspect of that that I wanted to touch on is I think leaving the theater, there's kind of a tendency to nitpick. Um, especially like Chris said, when you're, you know, you're going to be reviewing a movie right afterwards. Yeah. Um, and in this case, I think that led to some flippancy on my part about his character and like the decisions that he makes, which as a Marvel fanboy, it's great, right? Like we, we nitpick all the time. Yeah. Um, but I think when he goes hand in hand with a broader social issue, there are some things that I, I kind of wish had been addressed in a little bit of a better way. Uh, one is the scars. Uh, I have like, just made a total joke about them and his use and then, of scars. And then I went and doubled down on it. Yeah, we both doubled down. Totally have to plead ignorance here. I I found out a bit about scarification and some of the like the cultural meaning behind that later, and that's just one of those you know foot and mouth moments uh, that I kind of wish I could have given a little more thought. Uh, another is the the final line in the film from his character. I don't want to ruin it, but he basically ties his situation back into the uh, the broader issues of the black community. And, you know, I was nitpicky on line delivery. I think I said it was heavy-handed or that the tone didn't fit. And, again, like, I can't undo that gut reaction, right? We, we have the reactions we have. Yeah. But I think we, we talked a little bit with this friend about the concept of the white lens, right? And basically, like, viewing a movie, having it not directly impact you, you kind of can, like, totally abstract away the yeah, meaning yeah. of what is being said from what you believe is, like, the art of being said or the story arc of what's being said. Uh, so I think there was a... I, I was a little bit too, like, dismissive of that moment in a way that if I could, like, go back and rewind and think a little bit more, I, I think I would have handled it more uh, more delicately. Uh so yeah, just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. Um, again, 
this is just a thing we we spitball on the fly we're wrong all the time yeah, yeah i would fucking hate to go back eight years ago and listen to my my opinions on things um yeah no i mean that, that's the thing is yeah. like we've been doing this podcast for like eight or nine years mm-hmm. and for most of those years it's been difficult to finish an episode and not feel like i spoke ignorantly about the subject matter that i've been talking about for nine years right yeah. and this like Black Panther deals with a uh, subject matter that is uncomfortable to talk about. And I'm a hundred percent going to speak ignorantly about it. If I try to dive as deep as I should. Mm-hmm. And it's taken me a long time to get comfortable enough to just talk about film, <laughs> uh, let alone like subject matter that is very, very important to a lot of people yeah. and that I am on the wrong side. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? I mean, not on, you, see, I'm already fucking sure, it up. Sure. See, I'm <laughs> so, so one, one kind of like blindingly obvious example that I think isn't something we missed, but something that kind of weirdly just flew out of the conversation is like representation. Like this is the first major superhero movie, certainly the first Marvel movie to feature a predominantly black cast. And yeah. like, that's a big deal, right? Cause the general consensus in Hollywood is that, those movies will only be marketed to black audiences and there's kind of a niche and it's not gonna it's not gonna pay off right that, that's kind of the feeling is we'll have a few movies every year that are like the tyler perry x or something but in general we're not going to actually show diverse characters in like a broader broader scenario yeah. um and it is like very very cool that this movie was able to do that i think before the cloverfield paradox review <laughs> i talked a little bit about how like ava duvernay had emphasized that that movie had a diverse cast and um was made by a black director i believe and she kind of hyped that up and it was such a bummer after that that the cloverfield paradox was like not pretty a great dumb movie. <laughs> like not a great movie <laughs> certainly yeah. not a great vehicle to be so enthusiastic about uh, yeah. and it's just it's great that black panther actually lives up to the hype like it really is a solid cool movie nitpicky criticisms aside it like it's great to see so yeah that's one of those things that i think as two white dudes leaving a theater we don't always know how to address in a way that will seem like helpful and not condescending or yeah. weird but yeah it's just cool what this movie is doing um and yeah, th- there's a bunch of things on the internet of like GoFundMe's and a Twitter stream that Brie Larson started to try to have people help <laughs> pay for families to get to go out and see this movie, see superheroes that look like them for the first time. Yeah. And I-, I think those initiatives are really awesome. Uh, would definitely encourage people to check that out. Yeah. So, and, yeah. And like, there's not a graceful way to transition out of this topic, but I guess the last thing I'll say is like, have conversations with your friends that may be uncomfortable because like... It's important to have these conversations and they're probably not going to start it themselves. Yeah. So thank you to our friend for having these conversations with us. And for sure. And if any other listener ever wants to weigh in with feedback, you know, send us an email. Yeah. Happy to get on a chat. Would love to like actually have a dialogue with people because that's the only way you can learn more. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking you. of nitpicking, <laughs> we're about to discuss... <laughs> A movie where I can only imagine Christopher Schnazy will nitpick the absolute shit out of <laughs> Yeah, so <laughs> with that with that great introduction, um, we're going to listen to the trailer for Annihilation, and then we're going to come back and dive in, debate, and discuss. <laughs> and argue. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to leave that one as the twist. <laughs> can you describe its form? 
No. Start from the beginning. What do you think I do when you're away? You think I'm out in the garden, pining, looking up at the sky? <laughs> Why aren't you here? I gotta leave a day early. Your husband's here. Let me see him. He's extremely ill. You have to tell me where he was, what he was doing. It was his decision to go in. It's something they termed the shimmer. We've sent in drones and teams of people, but nothing comes back. But something has. You're a biologist. You served in the military. If I knew what happened, I could save his life. The boundary's getting bigger, it's expanding. We're talking cities, states. You need to know what's inside. So do I. It's beautiful. Check this out. It's like they're stuck in a continuous mutation. Anything interesting in there? No. Sharks have teeth like that. It's not possible. You can't crossbreed different species. What is it? The soldiers on the last expedition. They went crazy. Or something in here killed them. Something's come through the fence. Through the fence? We have to go back. I can't go back. We can camp here tonight. It's destroying everything. It's not destroying. It's making something new. All right, so that was the trailer for Annihilation, the latest film from Alex Garland, uh, his follow-up to um, Ex Machina, which was our favorite film of the year that it came out. My second favorite. Oh, your second favorite, sorry. Uh, my favorite, Stephen's second favorite. Uh, it's based off the book of the same name. Um, first in a trilogy for the books. Um, I don't think it's going to be a trilogy of films. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. But... Uh, yeah, so essentially the story is there is this location called Area X where there is this uh, shimmer shield thing being irradiated out from some point within this area. And um, people are going on expeditions into Area X. Uh, all these people are part of, and I, guess, I don't know if it's an organization or just a location that they call the Southern Reach. Yeah. The trilogy is called the Southern Reach Trilogy. Um, but essentially these people are going in to investigate what's happening inside of the Shimmer that is slowly growing larger and larger and larger. Um, many expeditions have gone in. None of them have come back. And uh, we join a group of people who are going in um, who are the first, uh, I guess, non-militaristic group that has gone in. It is a group of uh, four female scientists and uh, our, I guess, hero who is the who is like ex-military, also scientist, who has joined this group that is going in to explore and try to figure out what happened to the last things, the last uh, people who entered Area X. Nailing this. Nailing it. <laughs> um, Stephen and Miller... 
you mentioned earlier that you got some some faces and some glances and some some quick comments from me yeah. after you um, demanded that I not talk anything more about the film. <laughs> um, so, so Stephen and I both know that he is at the very least slightly positive on the film, and I am at the very most not that much a fan of yeah. the film. Sorry. I tried to reverse it. It didn't work. You know what I mean? I didn't like the film. Steven didn't not like it. Mm-hmm. That, that's fair. Do, do, do we want to dive into uh, reviews to elaborate? Or, or maybe you want to start by mentioning how reading the book for this movie might have primed you yeah, differently? I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, so yeah, yeah. So, so uh, I don't think I've mentioned on the podcast yet, but like the only sort of New Year's Eve resolution that I've had this year is that, uh, I mean, technically the resolution is I want to start reading more, but as an excuse to give myself the motivation to actually read, which is the thing that I don't necessarily enjoy, I've been doing my best to read the book version of films that I know we're going to be discussing on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, So I went out and I picked up a Kindle copy of uh, (laughs) Annihilation and I dove in. Um, Annihilation is not a long book, um, but as I started reading it, I was was like, okay, this is kind of interesting. And then based on the progression that happens in each chapter, of which there are only five, I started to get real scared about the movie because it definitely seemed like a film... Uh, that was based on a book with long chapters where not a lot... It, it's a very experiential book. Like, it, the, the story is told from, I guess, Natalie Portman's character um, equivalent in the book. Um, and it's really just a journal of what she's experiencing and the strange things she's seeing in Area X. Mm-hmm. And I actually took, like, a multi-week break in between the fourth and fifth chapters where I was like, I don't know what they're going to show me in chapter five that will justify this journey having been taken mm-hmm. um, because I, it's clear to me that I don't think the character will learn what area X is <laughs> or have a, some sort of satisfying conclusion. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll get into things. We'll do a, a sort of an, a, a normal review. Um, and then we'll have a spoiler section at the end so that we can really dive into yeah. the nitty gritty on the film. Um, and I guess the last thing I will say is uh, we heard some murmurings uh, closer to the film's release that in every market, except for the United States, this film is going direct to Netflix, mm-hmm. um, which says something about maybe the studio's uh, and, Con- and, confidence in yeah, it, perhaps. Yeah. And also, I could be like, in my head, I memorized this rumor that was reported. or it, I don't even know if it was a rumor or it was actual, but like this is the knowledge that I went into the film with, and I really wanted to like this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm just, that all my cards are now out on the table. Yep. Stephen Miller, tell everybody what they really want to hear is somebody speak positively about a movie. So, okay, different movies obviously have different goals um i think different hosts of this podcast usually latch on to one goal more than another uh frequent (laughs) co-host carson very often um is into movies for the experience for the kind of feeling or tone of the movie uh i tend to really be into message movies or movies where it has thematic things that i latch on to i think it's fair to say that chris <laughs> is usually very much a fan of story right yeah. story is king plot is king this movie is very much about an experience that has thematically interesting concepts but nothing very concrete this is a this is a very kind of ambient movie that is much more about feeling something and being engaged in something than it is about like going from point A to point B. And 
for that, I thought this movie was awesome. I I am 100% on board for this movie. Uh, I think it it is visually so interesting. I think Alex Garland took the visual style that he started honing in Ex Machina, the way that uh, the robot Alicia Vikander's character would kind of shimmer, like glow. Uh, there was a vision of technology that wasn't wasn't really like hard and rigid. It was much more like flowing and interesting. Uh, and this movie is just balls to the wall, insane visuals. Um, I think the shimmer is even shown in the trailer. Yeah. It's kind of this rainbow prism that is floating. It's a haze that is kind of floating everywhere. Yeah. And from the moment the characters step into the prism, they are just living in this hazy pastel dream world. So, so can, can I can I insert my first criticism sure. just real fast because it, I just want to get it out there so that like it doesn't feel like I'm just nitpicking. One, I just throw little nitpicks out there. Mm-hmm. The literal stepping into the shimmer the moment of crossing the barrier to the to the the shimmer there is no tactile nature to that passing through right sure there isn't a feeling that like there's no um like go go back to stargate right mm-hmm. like when the people like step through the stargate in that film there's like you feel that they're passing through a substance right and i feel like in what i like when they stepped in, I was like, "Are they in it now? Is it? I can't tell whether it, it, I, what's, what's happening." Like the, the, that, there was so much attention to detail to presenting these really incredible visual moments that, like, it just feels weird that there was no attention to detail for the passing through the shimmer as the barrier to Area X. Fair enough. I didn't. <laughs> it's not even. I, a I didn't notice that. I couldn't even tell you if we witness when they pass no. through because a thing <laughs> happens shortly after that makes the whole timeline be a little bit questionable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, one once they're inside, at the very least, I think the colors are gorgeous. I think the film just has a look and feel where you feel like you are dreaming. You feel like you are in a world where anything can happen. Yeah. Uh, um, you feel the disorientation that the characters would feel. And I just think the the production design in general is very, very, very creative. We can talk in spoilers how much is really informed by the book and how much is just Alex Garland riffing. Um, yeah. But there are plants in this movie that just kind of sprout up out of nowhere. Structures just kind of form that are sort of organic and sort of not. And everything feels very bright and colorful but there's an ominous nature to the fact that it, it, it it's like if you like turned a corner and there was a picture of a clown all of a sudden you're like <laughs> that looks happy but i'm really disturbed right now um, <laughs> this is a movie that just built it builds this really interesting dread and curiosity at the same time um there's one creature in this movie that i i don't think it matters enough to be a spoiler when it opens its mouth voices from past things times come out it basically echoes things that have been heard by it before and that that was one of the most disturbing intriguing moments that i've seen in a movie in quite a while it's just just this little idea that you can just like gnaw on for a while and it like it it stays with you somehow well really the thing making the voice was not sure it was was (laughs) gnawing plenty too um (laughs) There are a lot of movies that I want to compare this to, 
partly <laughs> to try to force Chris into a contradiction. It, but is we'll one of them a rival? Around. Yes. Okay, so, I'll, I'll get to that. I'll, yeah. get, I'll get to it. So, so there are a few things. Um, Arrival is a good comparison for this movie. Arrival was a movie about a human feeling, in that case grief, kind of being blown up by metaphor into a giant sci-fi concept. Um, this movie, I think, is doing something very similar. There's this feeling of self-destruction, of acting against one's own interests or not recognizing oneself anymore, that it just takes a little kernel of that and mixes it with a few vague ideas. I'll say vague scientific ideas on par with quantum entanglement in Cloverfield. Um, <laughs> and, it, it, and, and it just takes this and blows it up into a interesting fugue sort of movie where the specific mechanisms don't matter but what this journey means to the character does matter and for me i felt that a lot in both films um upstream color is another one i know i know you love you some shane carruth chris is going to tell me why upstream color makes complete sense he has a diagram here <laughs> he's drawn for me I would argue whether or not Upstream Color makes sense, the primary enjoyment of it on the first watch is not in the way that it makes sense. It's in the the odd tone that it strikes, the way it kind of blends humans and plants and cellular structures, the way it has these kernels of interesting like metaphors that it decides to turn into a movie. Yeah. And it is very quiet, it's very slow you don't know what is going to happen. And the resolution of that film is not really a resolution. Um, I think this movie follows the same path a lot, where this is a movie with interesting kind of analogies that it's wrestling with and little vignettes where you'll wake up, you'll see something happen, and then we'll just cut to a different moment. And it, it adds up to a a mood that I found very, very interesting. Um, another one is Under the Skin, uh, that is a movie like this with a jarring, string-heavy soundtrack. It has some ideas that it's wrestling with, but the actual specifics of why things are the way they are barely matter. But what it does really well is build dread and confusion and this this world where anything could happen. Um, the final one is just Apocalypse Now. I think the character of Kurtz uh, in Apocalypse Now is a lot like the character of Kane here, someone who has wandered into this scary wilderness and maybe lost a bit of himself in the process. Um, and this just has interesting ideas about like going in to try to rescue people or understand a, a world that seems to cause confusion and chaos. So I thought there were just so many really interesting influences in this movie. I think it is a, a journey that is very intriguing to go on, especially on a big screen. Um, I would definitely see this one in theaters. I wouldn't watch it at home <laughs> if I could help it. And I, I thought it was awesome. I, I really, really dug it. All right. So <laughs> I, I, I did not like this film. And I think that like, I, th I think that maybe you're right. Like the fact that I read the book in a weird, perverse way makes me like the film less because I expect the film to make up for the shortcomings of the book. Like, mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I know it to like, if I could have watched this film in a vacuum and just wondered what area X is and just like wondered if we're going to find out and wonder if like Natalie Portman's going to figure out something really, really cool. Um, then I could have, I could have sort of 
just been experiencing the film, but it's like, I knew we were not going to get that. Like, mm-hmm. spoilers, this film has no fucking clue what Area X is. And, and that's fine, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's fine in, in certain contexts. So I kind of expected the film to maybe work on some other level and, and, and try to, like, do something that the book didn't do um, instead of just change things enough to make it feel like its own telling of the story. Like, where this film ends and where the book ends are, like, vastly different places. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the, the character's eventual journey is, is greatly departed from, right? Um, and I don't know if that's because they thought for sure they'd only make one and they wanted to change it up a little bit, uh, but, like, whatever. <clears throat> um, but I think, in general, what to me was not exciting is well the idea of it is exciting which is we have like these like four five badass female women who are like the height of their jobs that are going to go into this thing because like a bunch of like tough military bros got like totally lost and <laughs> went crazy in this in the wilderness and these people each with an, an individual uh, specialty is going to go into area x and try to solve whatever's going on in there the problem is that, like, the way these characters are, like, the way it's handled, the characters are not flushed out, and not a single one of them, besides Natalie Portman, shows any proficiency at all yeah, in I've, the field that they think they're experts in. I, I fully um, agree. I would, I would take issue with that concept of experts in the field, badass women are going to go in and solve the problem. I don't feel like that is a description of the thrust of the movie at all. The way it uses these characters... You're almost not supposed to care. It's almost as if they floated in there by force, like like as if there was no well, reason. They, behind they it. all like they literally say from their own mouth that they volunteered. Sure, I mean, but that, that that's fine. Like I'm I'm just like waiting for like these women who are like we're getting this shit done because like we understand what the hell is going on because we're smart and we're gonna figure it out, right? And like save for a scene where they're paddling boats down a river. If that scene didn't exist, we would know nothing about any of these characters and they would be like less than two dimensional, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they, they would just be like, it's people who are here and they're also coming along. Right. Um, and I think that that when you combine that with the fact that they make incredibly stupid decisions, like something bad is happening let's horror movie style walk one at a time into the danger without understanding context for it. Um, a scientist who makes untested assumptions and comes to conclusions without doing any testing at all. Like, and you, you, that, that scene can be exactly the same. You can just say, huh, I've noticed this. Give me a second. Let me take a sample. <laughs> Stick a slide into like the side of her future computer and go bleep, bloop, bleep, bloop, bloop. Oh my God, my conclusion is correct. But she just states it with zero empirical evidence at like, I don't know a lot about the scientific method. I know it doesn't work that way, <laughs> right? Sure. Um, there is a scene where uh, people are inside a little booth that is fully lit on the inside. They hear a dangerous sound. They're worried about being attacked. So they try to like form military positions. Nobody shuts the light off. Somebody in a well-lit booth puts on night vision goggles. Don't know a lot about how those work. I'm pretty sure that it amplifies light. And if you like, like essentially... When I'm alone in a room with a bunch of windows, 
I don't like the lights to be on because I know everybody outside can see in and I can't see out, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's common sense. I'm not a trained... For context, Chris and I are in a yeah. glass room <laughs> exactly. in a light. You know how many times <laughs> I stare out at the balcony where it's all pitch black and I wonder if somebody's staring there looking back at us? That's mm-hmm. the pressure I'm under while we're podcasting. But anyways, my point is that, that like these are trained professionals who don't show one ounce of knowledge in their field. And in a lot of ways, it's kind of insulting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then when we... Like, I don't know, there's just lots of problems with this story. And it's like, if you compare that, like I, you know, we always joke about it's the uh, War of Tushnezi was with my review of Arrival. Arrival has great sci-fi elements to it, right? Like we we watched that film and we know that uh, Amy Adams. Yeah. yeah. We know that Amy Adams is like, I believed her like linguistic skills and her ability to try to decipher the, like. Sure. There is literally a montage type scene where she explains how, like, well, if we know nothing about each other's language, we can take things that are obvious and build up an alphabet based on, like, I can't re-explain that scene. But, like, at the end of that scene, I was like, yeah, I, I buy it. Like, cool, keep going. Like, I'm mm-hmm. wondering what knowledge she's going to gain from the adventure. And in this film, it's like a bunch of people going like, huh, it's weird. We lost a bunch of time and that stuff over there is weird and, like that's weird and then those guys over there they're weird and and it's just like a lot of it, it doesn't feel like this film is hard sci-fi it feels like it is just pure sci-fi-esque visuals and has no idea what any of it means it's just like hey this is cool weird stuff right like what do you think of that that's cool uh, yeah so uh, to me i don't know the line between hard sci-fi and thought-provoking sci-fi-esque concepts that have no clear resolution. Um, because to me, this film is definitely the latter. I think I, I fully agree with you. The characters in this movie, they do not behave as experts. They don't act with an agency where you would latch on and go like, aha, I would have done that as well. Yeah. They, they act as if they are just being pulled towards something, as if they're just being yeah. compelled to self-destruct, right? <laughs> and yeah, can, can, I, can I give one big part of the book away? Not sure. away, but like, uh, it, it's, it's not like a... I, I'm just going to shut up and say what I was going to say. Uh, in the story, the reason the psychologist is there is the main character starts to realize at one point in time that they have all been brainwashed. Mm-hmm. So the psychologist has certain phrases she can say that calm the group or make them more willing to respond to orders from somebody. Mm-hmm. So like there's a scene in this where the group is trying to decide whether they should press forward or return. And in the book, the psychologist could st- make a statement out loud and everybody would be like, you know what? We should just keep pressing forward. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Natalie Portman's character, something happens. She's exposed to something in Area X. And that ability to be conditioned by the psychologist slowly starts to wear off. Mm. And there is something where she has to play along knowing full well that the group is being controlled by the psychologist. And it's like there is this whole thing where it's like she's not only is she trying to realize what is Area X, but she's trying to figure out what is the actual goal of the mission they're on. What has happened to previous groups? How much information? Because they start to like, she starts to put together that there is information that they think they don't have that they have had at one point in time, or like people know about one thing. And like, there's there's a much more interesting yet still like not conclusive 
amount of information that the book has that this film completely ignores. Mm-hmm. And this isn't just like a, oh, but the book was better type of conversation. I'm just saying that like, the, like there is way more mystery that isn't necessarily paid off in the book about Area X and why people have gone in the past. And this film sort of doesn't like... I don't know there's just something weird about it. And like if I can compare it to right. another film that's completely different, um, but uh, in Atomic Blonde, uh, that film uses the same narrative structure as this. Like we are seeing a sort of interrogation of the lead character, and she is telling the events that happened. But one thing that that, that film does is, in that story, uh, Charlize Theron, we can see how it happened, and then we can watch how she tells the people in the room it happened. And if there's ever a disconnect, then we know she doesn't trust the people in the room, or we know she's trying to hide some element of what happened. I mean, we don't know who to... Like, there is a, there's a sense of, like, we can see what really happened, and we can see what she says. This film, everything we see happening is the thing she's saying out loud, so mm-hmm. there is not even a disconnect between whether she she can trust the people in the room that are interviewing her, like in her little debrief. Because essentially she she makes it out of Area X. The, 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 that's established from the very beginning of the film because right. we see her in a room talking to other scientists about what it is she saw in, in, in the area. And her sort of reason for going in is because her husband is the first person to ever return from Area X. Um, in the book... People are returning all the time under the exact condition that her husband did. Mm. So it's like people go away, they disappear, they randomly show up one day and they don't seem like themselves. And that's like one of the big mysteries is like what's happening to them while they're in there. We don't find out the conclusion of that in the book. But like it's it's like we wouldn't have the line where she's like, you said nobody's ever returned, but somebody has. Like that that, that line isn't in the book because it's a completely different context. And And I think that like that film is really about the character's personal journey and understanding like like she says to herself in the book like i didn't go in here because of my husband like i went in here because i wanted to know cuz cuz she's like a hardcore scientist who like really wants to learn the 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 way the universe works and this mm-hmm. is the first thing on the planet that she can sort of learn about that she doesn't already know right Right. like she's just like she's able to try and discover things new that don't adhere to the current laws of physics in the universe and it's like this is a puzzle for her um and this film is missing all of that it's just a sad person who maybe wants to find a cure for whatever's hurting her husband and then a bunch of people who feel they have nothing to live for (laughs) like (laughs) going in on a mission that they don't understand. And like, like I don't, to me, there's not, not a lot of interest in this story. The visuals, as you said, are great. Um, but like, I don't know what story this is trying to tell. And to me, it was sort of just like, yeah, that's a lot of weird shit. But like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I can't, I can't contradict that. Um, Maybe maybe it'll help if I air some of my criticisms because I do I do have them of this movie. Uh, a few things I didn't like. One, when Carson and I reviewed Killing of a Sacred Deer, I kind of realized that Yorgos Lanthimos has a style where characters will say things in a kind of emotionless, dreamy way that is like very droll and very unlike how real people talk. And in The Lobster, I had thought that made sense because it's 
there's a reason characters were at, would act that way. Yeah. And then when I saw another movie, I realized, oh, that's just what he does all the time. Yeah. Uh, I think Alex Garland has revealed a similar thing from Ex Machina, where in Ex Machina, there's a dreaminess that Ava speaks with. And to a certain extent, Donald Gleason responds to her with, where there's kind of a long silences and very short sentences and a lot of a lot of mystery and not much by way of very human emotion being portrayed. In Ex Machina, it makes complete sense why everyone would be talking that way. In this movie, there are characters that act that way for reasons that I don't feel serve the story yeah. or are really needed. Um, in particular, I think Jennifer Jason Lee's character, when she is meeting with Natalie Portman outside of The Shimmer, their conversation to me was very stilted and unnecessarily moody it wasn't it wasn't done in a way where a person trying to communicate with another yeah. person would actually speak but you have to admit that if she was psychologically manipulating them through like a uh, pre-programmed sure. response return things you'd go oh shit yeah that makes sense yeah. so, so that is an instance <laughs> where having that hinted at would help a lot because yeah, I, yeah. I would say all of the women not all of the women maybe 75% of the women on this journey are similar where they speak in a kind of dazed awkwardness that is not the way they would normally be bonding with each other. Yeah. Um, the scene you mentioned on the boat where one woman is discussing all of the, quote, reasons that other people have come on the mission, very clunky, very dreamy, very strange, not a normal human conversation. Yeah. Um, I don't mind that because I think... As I said, the movie is kind of like a tapestry of moods and very quickly it, they all all the characters become like just one instrument playing a different noise. And it, it isn't yeah. it doesn't matter so much what they're doing. It just matters how they add up to this feeling that you get. But there are definitely moments that felt like they should have been human that were not human. Um, yeah. Another thing I'll say is I was completely fine with the end of this movie. I think it is much weaker than the first two thirds of this movie. I think... Alex Garland is clearly making a film that is trying to make you feel things and raise questions and not answer them, which I think is great. Love love it when movies do that. When movies do that, I think they should limit the amount of time they spend in a state that looks like they're answering the question. Yeah. And in this case, I think he stares at it for longer <laughs> than he needs to, uh, quite Quite literally, like we look yeah. more directly at the mystery than I think the film needed to go. Also, that is all the movie. Yeah. None of that is in the book. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, I, I, lit, figured, lit, I figured lit, the lit, ending is totally different. Literally none of that. Um, and I love, I love the ideas even from the ending. We'll go, we'll go into it in spoilers. I, the visuals are always still cool. There's just a, there's a feeling where I wish it would have kept that kind of vignette of jumping back and forth between. For instance, when we see Natalie Portman going through these different locations, the story will be in one place, and all of a sudden we cut to a scene of her on a bed arching her back, or a scene of <laughs> yeah. her talking with her husband. And those function almost like in Moonlight, where there's a few like little cuts that are just showing us something and then cutting back away. Yeah. And 
it's piecing things together emotionally that have no literal payoff at all. Yeah, yeah. And I think the and, movie thrives at that. And when it gears steers away from that, I think it's a lesser film. Yeah. And, and I think in the book, there are these cutaway too. But mm-hmm. in, in the cutaways, it's explaining the sort of strange relationship that her and her husband had. Um, because like there is this sense of like she's very independent, but she does love him. But she doesn't really need him. But he doesn't really need her. It's like this weird – It's like, I'm not going to say it's a phantom thready type relationship, but like, it, it's one of those things where like part of the interesting aspect to it is like understanding the relationship that they have. Right. And those cutbacks explain stuff like that, right? Where you're seeing this, you're like, oh, they do have a peculiar like sort of like love uh, mm-hmm. that is involved. And in this film, pretty early on into the journey of Area X, and this is in the trailer, they find a camcorder, which has recordings of... Uh, other expeditions one of which the husband was on and like in the book there's no video camera but there are journals so it's like she is reading things that he wrote and like those flashbacks mix with that sort of thing and it's like her way of like there's there are deeper connections to those flashbooks flashbacks in the book that this film is like well we gotta also flashback to the Mm -hmm. things and it's like it just feels like um, mimicry. Um, well, I mean, that's, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yeah. but yeah, it, it just feels like mimicry rather than like things that actually define the journey that this character is on in this mm. story. Yeah. I think my, my non spoilery takeaway is I, I know we're just comparing to a ton of movies for some yeah. reason when a film is so much about mood and so little about other things, it's hard not to just get into comparisons. Yeah. Um, yeah. Last year, we watched Personal Shopper, which was one of my favorite films of the year. I forget in our episode where I put it, but it was probably like number two or three or something. It was very high up there. Yeah. Um, and what what I loved about that was it it built dread. It built a very interesting tone and an interesting mood. And it was clearly adjacent to philosophic ideas, right? Like the idea of haunting, the idea of loneliness, the idea of the way people interact. In my first viewing of it, those never became literal for me. Like I didn't watch it thinking, aha, that's what that means. I just felt it. And it wasn't until we talked about it on the podcast that it started to kind of come out a little bit more of how tightly linked those things are and what message the film might have. And I think... I think there's a lot to say for movies that have a message of a feeling whether or not it's obvious what it is. Like, I think the fact that it is there is a thing that you can kind of sense. You get a whiff of it. And I got the whiff of that in this movie. I think the idea of particles annihilating, right, two things going in different directions and colliding and negating each other. Yeah cutting to the relationship between two people that have formed self-destructive habits. I, I think there's a lot there to wrestle with. And I, I don't know what that is yet, but I felt that. And I liked the, I liked the metaphors that feel felt like they were going yeah. on. And I, and I think like in that review of personal shopper, like I watched that movie twice mm-hmm. <laughs> before we did that review. And I think that my second time through the film, I could stop analyzing what I was watching and I could feel it more, and then I could start analyzing those feelings. And mm-hmm. like I came away with this, like, oh shit! Like I appreciate this movie way more than I did yesterday when I when I watched it. Right. It was it just still didn't rank as highly for me, but I was like, oh, these themes are definitely there, mm-hmm. and they're really interesting. 
and it's making me think outside of the confines of this story that's being told. And I feel like in a way I, sh- I should have had that having read the book and seen the movie. Like the, yeah. I should have a similar thing where it's like the first time through, it's like, what is the mystery I'm trying to solve? And then when I've resigned myself to like, okay, they're not trying to solve the mystery. Now I can just watch the movie and experience it. I feel like I should have been able to make that leap to like, Oh, these themes are really interesting. Mm-hmm. But I guess I just, for some reason, I just didn't. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's like uh, uh, in the back of my head, there's like latent lost carryover uh, baggage where I'm like, that fucking movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I I would say this movie very. Show, obviously. (laughs) I would say this movie very early on establishes that there is no mystery box. There, There is no payoff. I think just the way the world works, the way characters behave it within the first 10 minutes for me it was clear this isn't going to be that movie this movie is not going to tell me anything and i'm completely okay with that and i think how you feel about that is going to depend on a whether you latch onto that and just get in that mode and b whether you like being in that mode when you watch a movie yeah Uh, i enjoy it but you know not not everyone does and that's cool Yeah, I mean, I mean, we we don't always agree on movies, um, but I will be 100% honest. When I walked out of the theater and you're like, I kind of liked it, I was shocked. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> when that movie <laughs> when that movie ended, I, I had to force myself to not say woof. Have, have you seen Rotten Tomatoes today? No, is it really, like is it 90%. Ranked really high? Really? Yeah. I wasn't expecting. I You had primed me for it to be a disaster, so I had no idea anybody liked this movie when I went in to watch it. Yeah. Mind blown. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, should we? Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, should we, we close out and get to spoilers? Yeah, we should probably get to verdicts and then and yeah, give give verdicts for everybody who doesn't want spoilers. Close out and then come back after that. So for now, Stephen Miller, if you're going to give this a must see, recommend with a caveat, wait for rental, pass the caveat, or a must avoid, what would you give it? I'm coming out guns blazing and saying must see. Ooh. I think this <laughs> this is a theatrical experience. Um, this is a movie that pulls you in and just like hypnotizes you with visuals and tone. And if you get invested in that way, I think it is a brilliant, brilliant way to spend a few hours. I I was very happy to have experienced this movie and I, I just think it has a lot to offer. Um, yeah. Yeah. Must see. All right. For me, uh, <laughs> wait for rental <laughs> um, <laughs> Carson would tell you to <laughs> stick to your guns <laughs> must avoid <laughs> um, no I mean it's I, I think I think it is visually interesting and I think that um, there is I just didn't like this movie <laughs> I'll, I'll say pass to the caveat caveat okay. being it is visually interesting mm-hmm. and uh, there are things in it that you see that elicit of like visual reactions i don't i don't know how to how i'm saying it visually caused actions that i don't know there <laughs> that is wasn't some, so hard <laughs> was it there is something about watching this film that is interesting mm-hmm. i don't think the story is good mm-hmm. um but then again i didn't like the book so <laughs> that's with a caveat i'm just losing fans <laughs> 
Yeah, so for everybody who's not sticking with us, uh, let's just close out. So, Stephen Miller, if people want to find you throughout the week, where is it that they can do that? They can go to twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. People can find me at christopherinreallife.com or twitter.com slash christopherirl. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoilerwarning or like us at facebook.com slash thespoilerwarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from the soundtrack to Annihilation, so hopefully you are enjoying that. <laughs> that people listening don't know, but I had a hand motion that went with that yeah. sound. <laughs> Chris was playing two theremins at the same time. Um, uh, but yeah so that music that you are listening to now will fade up momentarily and then when that music fades back out we will literally be in spoiler area x so if you don't want to lose yourself (laughs) then don't go inside it uh, because we are going to be given full spoilers for annihilation in just a moment mom spaghetti All right, we are back. That music is fading out, and that means this is spoiler territory, the after part of the episode, our review of Annihilation. At this point in time, if you don't want to be spoiled, you should get the hell out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because, yeah, we're going to be talking about everything about the film that we can. Um, yeah, are there any questions you have to start us off, Stephen, or should we just like start by talking about that ending? Yeah, let, let's start with the ending. I want to know how it ends in the book and how you feel about the changes made in the film version. So, like, I literally finished this book just a few weeks ago, and it's not entirely fresh in my mind, even though it's only a few weeks ago. But essentially, the one thing that this film doesn't have is... there. So there's the lighthouse, but there's also this thing that... that I mean, characters argue or what to call it, but essentially they call it the tower. Mm-hmm. But it's an inverted spire, so it's like a thing that goes down seemingly endlessly underground and there are different levels to like the deeper you go the more you experience is, is this that like little butthole yeah, in the th- lighthouse yeah, this is this is the single room cavern okay. that's right below the lighthouse but in this story it was two separate pieces and two separate locations and while they're going down inside of this this thing um there it like the walls are completely organic and moving kind of like characters talk about their hands moving mm-hmm. but all of the people because they're conditioned by the psychologist see it as just a cement wall mm-hmm. but natalie portman's character has ingested some spores that are wearing that off and she is starting to experience the world for what it really is as opposed to like the preconditioned way that the psychologist is blinding everybody anyways there is writing on the wall that's moving and constantly changing. And it's weird, unintelligible situations, almost like somebody's trying to sound super philosophical, but then like, like mixing up the words Mm -hmm. and like just saying like random stream of consciousness things. And that's sort of one of the mysteries they're trying to figure out is who's writing this stuff on the wall. What is this weird organic material? What does it all mean? Where is this coming from? Like a bunch of different questions. And there is this thing that they refer to as the creature, which is like this, not humanoid, but has some human characteristics thing that is crawling and... <laughs> oh, no, they call it the crawler. That's what it is. Yeah, the mm. crawler. Um, somebody who, like, is a big fan of this book is just screaming at me right now. But anyways, this thing is there. Long story short, 
there is some point where she finds this place where all the journals have been kept. It's sort of like every expedition makes to this one place, compiles all their journals, and then mm-hmm. kills each other or something, yeah. something weird like that, right? So she fi- she notices a photo on the wall, and it's like the first expedition that ever came in. And essentially, towards the end of the book, she starts to realize that the crawler is actually this person from the first expedition. Like, it's that leader guy, and she see- she somehow recognizes his face when she's mm-hmm. like looking back. But anyways, it seems like from what I remember, unless I just totally just like zoned out right at the end of the book, she essentially decides to stay in Area X because Mm -hmm. she wants to continue figuring out where everything is there. Uh And so she doesn't solve the game, right? (laughs) She doesn't uh, kill the clone of herself so that she can reset everything so she can return to the real world after dropping the shimmer, right? Right. Um, That's not the story that it was trying to tell like this is very much her this is crazy her entire team's dead she's had to kill at least one of the people because they were trying to kill her um and it's sort of like she starts to realize that like she'd rather be here in area x figuring stuff out than going back and she just stays there Mm -hmm. um I didn't continue reading the series. I don't know where it goes from there, but that's kind of what I remember from the end of the book. Right. (laughs) I was, I was literally beforehand was going to like just go through the Wikipedia just to make sure I was like, wasn't mixing any, any thoughts, but I just ran out of time, um, rushed here. And, um, but yeah, that was sort of where that story ends is is it kind of doesn't, it just goes like she walks off into the sunset and like, I'm exploring area X. Mm -hmm. And in this, it was very much, she conquers area X. Mm. Um, and yeah, so I mean, from a standpoint, like, did you find that satisfying with her sort of defeating the system in some unexplained way? And then I, I, I did, actually. I, I liked that aspect of it. I think it made this a nice self-contained movie. I think yeah. because the rest of the movie is so fluid and things don't have clear consequences, there isn't yeah. like a point A to point B journey being being gone on. It, it It's nice to have a big climactic moment where everything first of all just seeing everything shatter the way it does i thought was really cool i enjoyed the the visual idea of a you know two just throwing out some physics here (laughs) two particles can collide and create a photon uh otherwise you can invert that a photon can split (laughs) anyway it's interesting that like a photon bomb basically like causes this weird ripple effect where energy overruns everything and tears it down. Yeah. It basically throws chaos into the system. Uh, I, I like that. And especially because there is but a she, little... She had a phosphorus bomb, not a photon bomb. Damn it. <laughs> Photons but, are there. Photons I'll, are there. I'll, I'm going to let you finish. Yes. But <laughs> Energy. Energy is there. Yeah, yeah. Light is photons. Blah. <laughs> Science. <laughs> um... Anyway, I like the. I take it back. This movie sucked. Yeah, I hated it. <laughs> no, I, I, I liked I liked the visuals of that, and I think the arc that this movie goes on, having that closure, so it can then have an epilogue that raises the question again. Yeah, I think is really cool. It it is very much in keeping with Ex Machina. Uh, it gets back to this idea of fighting an enemy that doesn't hate you. It nothings you, right? How how do you deal with a world where, compared to this new thing, you are nothing. You yeah. are just in the way. And I think having her beat this system almost by accident, yeah. but then have this hint at the end that 
the the problem is still there like the thing is still one yeah um well, I, I think that's very satisfying and so, so as i said that that entire ending sequence from like the second she goes down into that hole in the film like that's all just film that's the film version of the story and visually i actually really really like that scene mm-hmm. um i think it's really interesting um did we didn't did we do a review of it or we just talked about it we we just talked about it okay. we didn't do a review um in it, of all the scary things that appear in the film, it, um, the weird flute nun lady, yeah, <laughs> that was the scariest thing to me. Scarier than giant clown, scarier than clown with like crab legs. Like, thanks for giving me nightmares again. <laughs> You're welcome. But like, for me, things that are sort of humanoid but do not exist in this universe, and are not even pieces of things that exist are incredibly frightening to yeah. me because my brain goes like, uh, cannot compute, uh, what is this? So the thing that she encounters is there, there is a level of terror in, yeah. inside of me where I could see myself experiencing that, trying to figure out what it is. And uh, Especially just, the way when, when she's encountering the psychologist, if, if that's the part <laughs> that you're referring to, where there's kind of... She has a face, but not always, and not really. And, and there's yeah, that a, like, was weird. It was just her eyes that were gone, uh, but then they were not gone. That, and... that got me good. I, I thought that was really visually. It, it had that uncanny valley of like the the Amish dolls. If you've ever seen those, where there's like face, there's no faces, and there's something really creepy, almost like Guillermo del Toro, about the idea <laughs> of a, a humany thing that is just blank, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That worked for me well. Yeah. Anyways, so so like I enjoyed that scene for what it was, and I kind of like the way that plays out. But at, earlier I was talking about how, unlike in Atomic Blonde, this is a story where the only information people have is the story she's telling. The only information we have of the audience is the story she's telling, and we have no reason to believe that she is hiding anything from the scientists back at the Southern reach mm-hmm. or from the audience. Like we just be- have to believe full cloth because that's the language of the story that's being told to us. The problem is she tells all the scientists that she watched her husband kill herself and that the thing that she fought that she killed the husband version of that is definitely the guy. Do, that do came we back. know she told them that part? I don't. I don't think the we, movie necessarily we, says we are only seeing what she is saying in the room. Right? I I don't know about she, that because the guy asks a follow up question about what the creature looked like. Where obviously, if if he had access she, to I mean, the thing we saw, then they would have known already. Well, we have access to it from the convo. Like the the like she. I'm pretty sure she told them she fought this thing. No, no, yeah, yeah. Because he even says she says it wasn't trying to hurt me, and he's like, but it struck you, and then she says. It was mimicking me. It wasn't like it wasn't trying to hurt me. It's I attacked it. It then like so she definitely told them that. Mm-hmm. I think just she was like, what was the form? And she's like, I don't I can't tell you. It was like blue Play-Doh yeah. mixed with metallic something or other and then DNA from everything. That's <laughs> 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 what happens when you look at a hotel bed in a blue light. <laughs> Black light. Seriously. Um, but like so, so like she's not hiding information like they have all of that. So at that point in time, they should understand that the guy in the room is not. Yeah. So I believe she didn't tell them that. I, I believe that Coda is basically telling us that she withheld that piece of information. But she walks to the room while people are watching her and she's like, 
you're not him, are you? And he's like, I don't think that I am. Like, that was an earshot. Like, everybody hears that, right? I don't know. And then she hugs him. And that's when you see, like, the twirly eyes cut to credit thing. Like, it's implying that, like, Area X starts again when they make love or something. I don't know. (laughs) I I, I just, like, I, I think that... To me, once again, we have characters making stupid decisions. Like, if I was one of the scientists in the room, I'd just raise my hand and be like, um, so she told us that's not... My my understanding is they didn't know and they didn't, they couldn't hear in the moment that she talked to him. Mm. That That feels like a a super stretch to me. I I would, I mean, I don't remember, like, if if she whispers or how many people are around when she walks into that room. But she she says it once again in her dreamlike state. And he says it back to her. It's not a. It's not like he's like. It's not like she's like. She hugs him and then whispers, "Are you not my husband?" And then he hugs her back and goes, "I am not your husband." Like that's not what it, the transaction is. It's two dream statey people that are sort of like not understanding the words they're saying, admitting to each other that they both know that he's blue man group, <laughs> or they've just. They think they've come out changed, right? They're psychologically confused. I don't know if I were a well, the very scientist, least, I would look at that and be like, they must be clones. They say they're not themselves. But also, at the very least, even if the scientists don't know, she watched her husband kill himself. And then her husband walk in front of the camera and go like, hi. Right? Yeah. And then she fights a blue thing that starts to turn into her. And then she uses her husband's exit as her way of stopping the creature, which takes on the whole. So she knows with 100% certainty that, like, that's not her husband in that room. Yeah, but maybe maybe she doesn't care. Maybe this is like, <laughs> she now has a chance <laughs> to have the version of the husband that doesn't know that she cheated, that doesn't Spoilers have... Spoilers for the... <laughs> that, uh... <laughs> but no, but... but, but the... Once again, the language of the film shows that, like, when her husband came back, she was like, oh, this is not, like, th- something's wrong with him. Like, mm-hmm. this is not the experience. that I've-. There's even, like, actually, in the book, like, he comes home, they sort of embrace, and, like, they go to the bedroom, and, like, mm-hmm. partway through that session, she is like, whoa, something's wrong. This is not my husband. Like, something's missing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, like, there, there is, like, a sense that, like, she 100% understands something's definitely wrong. And then if she, exper- also in the book... No blue people No, like she doesn't find a copy of her husband and a husband video of her husband committing suicide. He's just gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so she um, so she uh, doesn't have that same experience that, that she does in this film. But in this film, there's enough extra information there. that's like, why? Like, I don't know. It's something, mm. something just feels weird. And like the scientists, I don't think immediately putting them back together would be a smart thing. I don't think that interview or debrief was enough for them to make intelligent decisions on what they should do next, right? They're just right. like, well, the wall's down, so I guess, like, done? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it's not like we know that they're free to go or anything. They just, like, walked into the quarantine space together and talked. Yeah, but, like, she had to sneak into the quarantine space to, like, put her hand on his chest and say, I know why you did what you did. Mm-hmm. Which, another thing, like, going back, that uh, I hinted at it earlier... She finds this journal and there's a certain point in time where her husband is writing the information he's seeing, knowing that his wife will one day read it mm-hmm. and trying to write it in ways that would be important to her. Mm-hmm. So it's like he's he's directly writing his journal with the expectation that she'll eventually find it and she'll be able to figure out what Area X is. So like there's this weird like symbiotic rel- 
relationship that they have where it's like his ultimate goal is to make her the ultimate person she can be Mm -hmm. um and it's like even though he knows he's going to be dead soon he's still like carrying on i might be reading way too much into like this half of a chapter of one of the books i think Mm -hmm. it was chapter four where that that sort of gets introduced but um yeah i don't know so how did you feel about the wolf that contains echoes i believe it kind of like rips like out a, the vocal cords of the people it that it destroys bear, but yeah bear wolf <laughs> i think they refer to it as a wolf at some point in the movie but maybe not um what whatever whatever the animal is it seems like visually when the two bodies that we see that had been attacked by this creature um their vocal cords seem like they've been ripped or slashed yeah and then when this creature opens its mouth echoes of their screams yeah, and like terror that, that was a cool effect and it was yeah. an interesting concept um i i enjoyed sort of that i, I enjoyed the presentation of that mm-hmm. um and in the book there were things where it's like she would kind of sense echoes of a certain person in a thing that she was encountering mm-hmm. um that so that that seemed to be uh present yeah. Like uh, that that in this film, there's the scene where like you see the person splayed out on the wall, like just kind of yeah. like growing forever. I, I thought that was an incredible visual, too, by the way. Yeah, no, no, it was. It was. And that that is I mean, it's not obviously visually it's not directly from the book, but that sort of thing happens. Mm-hmm. But for her, it's like the uh, anthropologist, I think, who goes missing one night where everybody's asleep and. Um, she's just missing and nobody knows what happens to her and it's not after like a wolf bear attack it's just she's gone Mm -hmm. and uh the the lead the character whose voice everything is in um starts to suspect that it was the psychologist that did it so there's already this rift because she's like i know the psychologist is lying i know she's controlling everybody she seemed to be butting heads with the anthropologist the anthropologist is gone now i wonder if that's who it is and then when they find that body she recognizes that that is the anthropologist and she doesn't know what happened to her and she can't figure out whether like the psychologist went down on us like a, just a double person expedition while everybody's asleep, killed her and then came back and was like, I don't know what happened to her. Like, so there's, there's other mystery that explains why characters don't trust each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, so, yeah. So I recall you having, I, I guess you, you gave nitpicks mostly in the non spoilers already. Yeah, yeah. Like I tried to get some of them out before we were yeah, like yeah. deep in the conversation. Because I, I, I don't know, for me, the moment they walk into the shimmer and then suddenly four days have passed and they've all woken up and they don't remember how they got there. Yeah. Any any need this movie had to have the characters behave in fully intelligent, like fully competent ways was gone for me. Like the rules are already out the window. They are disoriented. Yeah. They don't know where they are. They don't know what is happening. The goal is so fluid and flimsy, right? Like, go to the lighthouse and who knows, right? Like, it's so clear the moment they get sucked in that they're just in this world of confusion where there is no clear purpose anymore. But in, in, in the book, I think there was a lot more protocols put in place to make sure that they could handle the strangeness they were about to to do because I, I i if i remembering correctly they had some handguns and one assault rifle mm-hmm. the assault rifle was carried by like the person with the most military training and then all the other guns were like packed away in uh like some sort of case mm-hmm. and it was a thing where it's like this is just an exploratory mission 
we don't want everybody to have guns because then if people start going crazy then they're all shooting each other so it was like only under circumstances mm-hmm. where like we need to now open up all these guns like it, they're, they're, like so there's a bunch of things like it felt like this is a place where there have been 50 expeditions that have mm-hmm. all failed in this film for all we know this could be the second expedition right, right. her husband's expedition and now them mm-hmm. and that it it just felt like this was a like it, i just couldn't help but feeling the entire film that like uh, these are a bunch of amateurs who are like shiny stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> right um and i don't I don't know why that that part of the book was changed because I think it's way more compelling mm. if like this is literally the 200th expedition and nobody's ever done it. And there's even like a more losty type thing in the book where they find like really old, outdated weapons. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, this isn't just there's been a bunch of expeditions like this place has just existed for untold amount of time uh-huh. and it's sort of always been there. That's pretty crazy, yeah. right? And it's like, is there a time vortex around where is it also refracting time? Like mm-hmm. there's a, a weird thing where it's kind of like there's there's even more mystery, even more protocols set in place by people who have intelligent like they still don't know what it is, but they've made enough mistakes to have created rules for how they handle the next time they go in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that this film lacked the structure of the Southern Reach group or organization or agency or whatever they are um this film lacked that piece of the puzzle and they just made it like a bunch of unqualified people doing unqualified things in like a space that is unquantifiable yeah <laughs> so shortly after the movie before we decided to stop talking about it you <laughs> you expressed sarcasm and annoyance that the physicist character seems to have just simply thrown out of the blue ah it it's refracting everything yeah right right you were annoyed because the well, this first of all i i was annoyed at the mere statement that it can refract dna mm-hmm. <laughs> i believe your exact words were you can't refract dna gall first of all i've never said that in my <laughs> life uh, no but yeah like it just the it okay so in um What's the movie with the kid with the goggles? Michael Shannon's in it. Uh, yeah. Um, mid- Midnight, special. Midnight Special. Midnight Special. There's a scene in Midnight Special where Adam Driver triangulates a point with two points. Mm-hmm. I don't know if listeners know what a triangle is, but it has, has three points. Mm-hmm. Usually when you triangulate something, you have like three things and then a boom, right? Sure. Yeah. Right? And we all agree that that's... Yeah, <laughs> but he he goes he goes, huh? This location A, this location B. I know where they're going. <laughs> and like when that happened, the way I just put my hands up. I was like, what? Mm. Like what? Shut up! <laughs> right? Those things are dumb. Yeah. And like in this film, she goes, guys, these plants look like people. The plants are made of people. The radios aren't being blocked; they're being bounced back. Maybe the shimmer reflects DNA. See, so what? What's weird is to me that scene was not that unrealistic because they're already opting into a a place where clearly crazy things are happening. I think pretty quickly. I forget if this has happened before or after they saw the video of Oscar Isaac cutting open the guy and seeing things moving in circles. I think it happens after. It might be after. 
character. So they, they've they've witnessed a a lot of very bizarre behavior. It seems pretty clear that normal natural explanations are not just gonna like which, pop which, out and be obvious. Which is fine, yeah. but why would she then be so certain what was happening? Right. So I I didn't read it as a a scientific certainty so much as like a a big idea she just had like an analogy an analogy she's been floating around in her head for the past yeah. few days while she's been watching things and in this moment it just kind of clicks and i read it as her throwing out this idea which isn't a scientific explanation so much as a a description of like the vague formula that everything that happens seems to be following. It, it was just the way she said it with certainty. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't like, hey, I bet if I took a sample of this, it would it would be human DNA. Like when when after she makes the dumb statement and then she's like, you can see that these plants are growing with like uh, like when she says the, the whatever the whatever gene yeah, that is responsible for making heads, shoulders, knees and toes mm-hmm. um, like fine like that's like the real problem is it felt like somebody alex garland <laughs> like looked up some things and then wrote a story incorporating those things right mm-hmm. like oh let's put some weird freaking stuff that has to do with dna replicating itself and i'm just gonna look up some of these like interesting terms and then create a story around that mm-hmm. it, it, like in ex machina i don't know a lot about ai i know you do mm-hmm. I just took for granted everything he said because it sounds like, first of all, it's two people who know a lot about what they're talking about discussing like, oh, is it this? No. Oh, no. It's this. Oh, that's really cool. I don't know if he had a technical consultant on that film, but like it just feels true right, right to me. And whether or not it was, and I'm sure some of that stuff, I know you've complained about a few things they said when they were in the kitchen. like Sure. Drinking beers. Yeah. A little bit of their conversation, but it, it's okay. The movie didn't care that much about yeah, it. Yeah. But that's the, that, that film is about what is human versus yeah. what is something that thinks it's human versus what is something that is un, like undifferentiable from mm-hmm. humanness, but you know in your head that it isn't like it's dealing with the, like it's, it's a philosophical film that mm-hmm. happens to be based on technology. And in, in this film, it is not really trying to philosophically make any statements. It's sort of just like, what if all the rules don't matter? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I go back to the feeling I had relating this to personal shopper. I do think this is a philosophical film. I just don't know the specific ideas. I know the, the patterns, like the analogies it's playing with of things repeating themselves, cells behaving much like people behave, things being destructive, things annihilating, things echoing. Um, I think it, it's wrestling with like some very interesting ideas. I don't know the broader philosophy about how humans are, that it is – I don't think there's a thesis, yeah. but I do still think it's a philosophical film, and I think – what this shares with Ex Machina is in Ex Machina, Donald Gleason comes to this location because he presumably is, I believe, like an excellent programmer, an excellent AI researcher. Yeah. I think that's the conceit of it, right? He like he won something to well, go he, over there. He also posits, posits at one point that he was 
from a selectable group of people who meet a certain qualification. And then he was custom tailored to be the at least she was custom tailored to. Basically, it seemed like Oscar Isaac picked him specifically based on a bunch of different priors that like I'm sure he wrote some crazy thing to compute. Right. Yeah. So anyway, that there's an element of that dynamic in this movie too so what i was going to say is donald gleason despite all that in his interactions with ava and his conversations with oscar isaac he does not approach her like a programmer he approaches her like a person in wonder at the universe who is trying to unpack a problem from like a really zoomed out perspective not from a low level technical perspective and this movie is very similar where these people were picked to go on this mission ostensibly for different skill sets it is revealed also for different uh flaws or problems um but they don't behave in a way that seems like low-level technical people grappling with things they're behaving it in a way of philosophers people trying to do hand wavy analogies or saying like thought experiments about what is going on and I don't know if that is just the way he likes his characters to be, but that seems like the way this movie is headed. Where as a as an analogy, like a hand wavy explanation of it's it's like refraction. I thought that was really interesting because when you like take like higher level physics classes or things like that, a bunch of it is hand wavy analogies. It's like you know how two particles can collide into nothingness. What if you just turn that diagram upside down? <laughs> now nothingness is becoming two particles. And it's like, that is actually the argument. And there's math behind it way deep down. But the hand yeah, wavy yeah. is actually like the best way of learning that stuff. But, so but, so but, to me, the hand waviness was like actually pretty realistic for how a physicist would think about this problem. But, but I'm 100% fine with like hand waviness followed by let's see if the math works out. Sure. Math works out. Mm-hmm. This is our best explanation. I'm on board with it. Yeah. The audience sees that the shimmer begins when some sort of meteorite falls from space, right? Mm -hmm. We know the origin of it is alien, right? Scientists at the end of the film, Natalie Portman's like, and that's all she wrote. And the guy goes, so it was alien. Interesting. I was like, what? Fucking, how do you know it was alien, right? Mm -hmm. It was just a weird blue fucking guy. Like, you don't know that. Like, nothing about her story defined that it was alien but the opening credits where it shows a thing fall from space, like that's we the audience know it's alien. Mm-hmm. She, oh sorry, it's extraterrestrial. I guess it's all, it's all the same thing, right? It, it's it's some. We have to be so politically correct now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like you know what I mean. Like it, it's it, it's the I, don't, I just this is it would be like if we were the Southern Reach, right? Mm-hmm. We're like we're not qualified to do any of this stuff. <laughs> like shit, this yeah. is crazy. Shit. But yeah, I just, I, I don't know. Things like that bug me, especially in a story so, with such strange things happening, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, just, I mean, to go back to the loss analogy where it's like, this has to lead to something to justify how crazy this is. And then ultimately it doesn't end in a set, like it doesn't tickle that part of my brain that makes me go like, wow, that wasn't interesting. Like even if somebody comes up with a stupid idea that doesn't technically make sense, but you're like, I like where your head's at. This mm-hmm. is this is kind of cool. I like this, right? Yeah, I guess the difference is I felt like this did that. I actually thought the the refraction analogy and the the tendency towards chaos and self destruction 
that satisfied that for me where I was like, I like this idea. Yeah. I'm into it. This is enough for me to enjoy all of the visuals that you're putting on screen. Yeah. I mean, like, so it's, I, on some level, I do sort of like the idea of something landed and it's just absorbing DNA slowly and expanding. And it's like, let me learn everything about what I can and then now give me more. It's kind of like the, like everybody's scared of like a supercomputer that like tries to be able to compute more. So absorbs yeah. and turns everything into some sort of like processing power. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it's sort of like that sort of thing. This alien like symbiote is trying to expand and absorb more DNA so that it can be able to turn into more things. But as a consequence, like it's, it's bile <laughs> that it's creating yeah. from, from like eating all of this DNA is just morphing of DNA around it. It's, it's like it borrows some of it, but then it doesn't work or, mm-hmm. but you could go more into that. Like maybe, maybe it has analyzed the human genome and knows that there's a bunch of these genes that don't really do anything. And it's just taking those genes as it absorbs human DNA. But then as a consequence of having these previously thought to be, I'm doing air quotes right now, previously thought to be unused parts of our genome turns out they all do something and when you remove that people turn into plant people like mm-hmm. you know there's you could take the idea farther than this film does sure and like i came up with that on the fly in mm-hmm. the middle of our podcast an hour and 22 minutes in right yeah like if you have years to write the story like you could come up with that kind of shit right, right. um but this film doesn't really do that it just sort of goes like and now there's a alligator shark <laughs> So I could have done without the alligator shark. Um, one thought, and this is probably my last thought, okay. is... I don't need to have any more thoughts, by the way. You, you, this is a thing that is thriving on... It, it, it wants DNA. It wants things to play with, things to yeah. echo and mirror, as it just does this wild, random search in creating. Yeah. And it doesn't have a purpose. It doesn't have anything. It's just creating. It's interesting to think that one dynamic of how it gets that is the unquenchable human desire to explore the thing it doesn't understand. Yeah. Like, it's interesting to wonder, in a world where nobody goes in, does it grow? Does this thing have power in a vacuum? Yeah. Like, because they believe this thing is getting bigger all the time, but they're also sending people in all the time yeah, yeah, to exactly. investigate like, it. See, that's an interesting yeah. concept, is the fact that, like, maybe it can only expand to as much DNA as it absorbs. Yeah. So we keep sending in five people at a time and it eats them and then it grows five millimeters yeah, but, or whatever. But, but, but so it could be then that the people, even before they're in the shimmer, as they're out on the perimeter, being drawn toward it, seemingly compelled toward self-destruction without obvious reasons. I mean, there are yeah. hand-wavy ones like, oh, she was an addict. Like, that doesn't tell me why she wants to self-destruct, right? That's yeah, kind of, yeah. that's like kind of offensive. Yeah, yeah. But, um... Like if it, she was an adrenaline addict and she's like, this is the only thing yeah. that gets me excited now but, is going into the shimmer. Yeah, sure. But but if this thing is a force that either just by our wiring yeah. or by something calls to people the way that in Close Encounters people are called to this location, yeah. right? Um, then I think that that is interesting and it kind of explains the way people seem to float in a daze yeah. and they they don't all speak in a way that a like normal human would speak so can i shatter your your concept of this please okay so let's say that i i completely concede the shimmer refracting dna is cool all the dna is being mixed around everything that's cool if i give you that 
why do you have to cry blood into the thing in the center of the bottom of the tower in order to spawn into that secondary life to try to be mimicked? Like if, if yeah. all the DNA is in everything, then the th- even if the thing is somehow confined to the tower, shouldn't it be able to get all the DNA it needs simply by refracting the DNA at the lighthouse? Sure. Totally, totally conceded. Uh, I guess if I had to make an argument, I would say that your DNA is everywhere in but whispers. We need the pure. It, it, it's everywhere in whispers. <laughs> yeah. It's scrambled, right? There are echoes of it all yeah, over yeah. the place, but it isn't there as one dense thing with the force to like impose itself on this yeah. creature. So, but the real answer is because the visual looks fucking awesome. <laughs> like that, that's why. That's why it is the way it is. Yeah, no, no, that's true. And How I, come at the end of Beauty and the Beast, Belle's <laughs> actual tear is needed to regenerate the tree, rather than just falling in love? Because it's a visual. Because like a teardrop going going into a thing and causing something to spawn again is a nice visual. I might have imagined that it, that's the ending I, of Beauty and the Beast. I, I think you imagine it. I'm pretty sure it's kissing. Something, I, I think it's kissing the beast is her, or maybe the tear represents her true love. The kiss was like, well, anybody can kiss. Hmm. Um, I don't know. Some movie definitely ends with a person having a tear and that tear going into the soil and then transforming into something. Sounds like some Darren Aronofsky shit. <laughs> yeah. All of life started as a tear. <laughs> uh. <sighs> Should we call it a day? Yeah. Or a night? Uh. A day is going to be when you have to edit this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hopefully some part of this episode was worth it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. I think uh, we'll call it a day. Thank you guys for listening. Later. <laughs> we'll see you next time. I know the dudes. You know I'm talking to you. We love you now.